Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Hello, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Ah, oh man, it's already past the middle of July. Can you believe it? Where does the time go? It's 9.05 here. Uh, hopefully it's 9.05 where you are, unless, of course, you're listening by way of the app from some other continent, which we know some people do. So wherever you're listening from, thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, we got two hours here. I'm, I was threatened that Wes may show up here in the middle hour, so that'll be fun to have uh, an ex-realtor on the show. <laughs> ex-realtor, huh? Wow. Hey, I, I mean... I don't, we'll have to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. I, I guess Let's see he's... if I call him Will. I always call Will Wes. So let me see if I can call Wes Will. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. just or just call him Wes and make yeah. everybody happy. There it is. <laughs> and you can work on that other problem in the vanilla. <laughs> I think Will's starting to take a little offense to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on it, Will. That's a great idea. How's it going? Great. Yeah? Yeah, it's going great. It's a good week, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. American League won the All-Star game. They that's, sure did. That's the most recent sports news there. Oh, yeah, and one of the Angels is, like, MVP. You always love that. Yeah, Mike Trout's neck one, huh? <laughs> Don't be mean. It's not his fault his neck is shaped like that. <laughs> He had a walk-off home run last night. Did you see that? I did. In what was, through eight innings, a, a scoreless game. Really. A no-hitter through six. Yeah. yeah. Good times. Paid attention. Look at that. Did the A's win? No. Right on top of it. No. No. Shut out. The Astros won, too. I'm just waiting for some excitement in the trade market so that I can get pumped up for next year yeah, i could start to think about 2016 yeah it's been a weird year for my a's and so oh man there's a uh let's shift over and start talking about this stuff the reason we're here the mortgage you know economic, oh, oh that yeah kind that. Of thing. okay um i'm ready for your rundown what's going on this week uh my rundown yeah greece struck a deal yeah did they are you all studied up or did you <laughs> i feel like many, do i care anymore many people are um just wearing out of that we've been Don't... talking okay remember when 2008 happened and the whole world sunk into a recession slash depression we were talking about greece then yeah we were talking about what, what was the acronym it was Italy, Greece, um, I forgot. There were there were yeah. a number of countries. There were four countries, and there was a cool little acronym. And we were talking about it then. We were talking about austerity. We were seeing riots in Greece. Yeah. And here we are seven years later, and they still can't figure it out. Is it really just greed in Greece? 
where you know they're so used to having everything paid for and everything taken care of. I, I don't know. I don't. There, think there's so. reluctance to um, to to take the measures that seem to be necessary to get to right their financial ship. That's what it seems like to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some there's some tough realities being proposed and and they don't well, want to jump on board with that right. well and the tough thing there too is that you know because they're part of that eurozone they've they've got this <clears throat> geographical and political influences they they it's like you can't let your team down now you, you're not just failing you and many people keep wondering if the if the euro experiment works those countries yeah. that participate in that together and so that's been a big deal is that Greece has been having, obviously, they've been having trouble financially, um, and they were unable to meet some debt obligations. Mm-hmm. So some of those other countries that own Greece debt that are interested in their success are now not being paid their money due. Well, I um, think, isn't that kind of why um, United Kingdom, and especially England, didn't participate in it because they kind of maybe foresaw this problem instead of getting up the pound. I think a lot of countries that if they were pitched the idea or evaluated it, think about that. It's not just a common currency when you choose to do that. And yeah, there, I think there are countries that decided that it's, it's too hard if you're not under the same government to, to be under the same monetary policy because those things, as we well know in our country, are quite hand-in-hand, hand, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, what, our, what our Federal Reserve Board does in terms of changing the economy, but this stuff is politicking. I mean, it, it, it does have party ramifications, as we all well know now after this last demonstration. Um, but just being controlled by just our country. And you also realize that in the big picture, we also were, we had a lot of scrutiny from other countries too. You remember when Japan was pretty upset with us that we were monkeying around and bailing things out and, um, you know, taking some of the measures that we took here. So even when you're not exactly part of something like the Eurozone, you suffer the scrutiny and accountability to the other economies of the world and countries of the world that just depend on you. So Greece has definitely been in the in the spotlight now. Uh, but this week, the big news was is that they um, basically had been made some offers. And now the, the Greece people have finally agreed. Um, and so they're now going to figure out how to to borrow more money and get back on track and figure the whole thing out they're getting about 90 billion dollars in emergency loans um and they're uh they're gonna stay in the euro and so and if memory serves these the proposals that i don't know if it's the exact thing they accepted here recently but it's very similar to what was proposed years ago several years ago that they didn't accept and now Time has passed, and now they're accepting what appears to be a very similar proposal. That's right. Yeah. So they're coming around. Many people are just <laughs> saying that they're kicking the can down the road. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, in, in fact, here, what I remember about that is like just raising the debt ceiling. Yeah. We're not going to figure out the actual like expenses and income part of this balance sheet. We're just going to allow ourselves to go more in debt. Perfect. Um, it feels awfully similar um, there too. But hey, 
who are we? We're not running some country um, or running it into the ground. Um, so, so who knows there? But um, that that did have some impact in our market. Uh, just that that's been one of the big pieces of volatility for the um, the last few months. Again, I think especially as things here in the U.S. got a little bit, whenever things here start to get a little bit more stable, uh, then you begin to see those other. Uh, highlights from around the world begin i think to almost garner bigger attention than they probably deserve you know what i mean like when things are really gangbusters here we don't care that much about what's going on elsewhere but right now you know we keep learning about how um the strength of the dollar and the change in import prices what this is doing consumer spending it is all very related uh and we're we're learning an awful lot about um how the u.s ties into that and so lately we really focus on um what's been going on abroad because there's not there's not huge news here it feels like we're kind of just chugging away huh we need to get some more miles under the belt here Make sure housing stays on track. Make sure jobs are doing good. And now wait for wages and, and prices to catch up. I mean, that's all we're doing. We don't have any groundbreaking things going on here. No, I mean, I, I think what we've we had our latest, what is it, the jobless claims. We've now had 18 straight weeks of jobless claims under 300,000. Yeah. You know, unemployment's been... Which, by the way, is pre-recession lows. That's normal. We've we've been at a five and a half percent interest rate, or I'm sorry, unemployment rate, or lower for now several months. We've been below six percent, or six and a half was a key level, I think, that the that the Fed identified in their policy um, in policy statements and stuff. And we've been under six and a for half like a for year. at least a year, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so the jobs front's looking good. Housing, we don't even talk about housing. The Fed doesn't talk about housing Hardly anymore. Hardly worth talking about anymore. Housing's doing pretty good. I mean, we, we're talking about inflation. We're talking about wage growth. Um, those are the things. But those aren't real exciting, sexy things to talk about in the news media. You don't hear about that too much. No. And you know what? This week, we got a little bit of a look into um, that inflation component, right? Um, we got a producer index read as well as a consumer index read. And on the producer side... Uh, it looked like things got a little bit more expensive for the producer, and they haven't exactly passed that through yet. Um, so does that mean inflation's probably coming? After the producer numbers, the answer was really no. Most of the economists were suggesting that it doesn't mean that we're seeing any of that inflationary pressure yet. Um, and then uh, later in the week, we got the read on the, uh, the retail sales showing that we're softening a little bit. Um, and then also we found out on producer price index that we finally do have um, a little bit of gain there, 0.4% uh, for the month of June. It was only expected to rise 0.2%. Um, we did have a 0.5% in May, so it's a little bit less. But bottom line is, if those are the what we're looking for is simply just wage growth and inflation now, there's not measurable growth in either way. So we don't know where else to look. Well, and it seems like... 
all of the inflation figures are influenced by the price at the pump, right? Sure. It's gas. I mean, every time you see something go higher in in these price indices, it's because gas got more expensive. If it's lower, it's because gas got less expensive. What we've seen now, when you look at the core consumer prices, which is your, your headline um, inflation number, the consumer price index, it's now year over year up 0.1%. That's not much. <laughs> That's a flat line right there. What's the target? Three? Two. Two? Two percent is the target. Yeah. So we're not we're nowhere near that. <laughs> no. Not even close really. No. Oh, I had another example this week. Oh <laughs> we went um I I took my son last week to the drive in. We went and watched um we watched that movie Inside Out. Have you guys seen that movie yet? Have not. It's a really great movie. Hmm. I I liked it a lot. It's so clever the way they kind of show how the emotions are at the helm inside the brain and the way those they sort of slug out who's going to get control of a situation. Anyway. Is this where you're going to tell me they only showed you like an hour and a half long movie and they wouldn't let you sneak kids in in, in the trunk of the car? No, but... <laughs> Darn this inflation. Yeah. We, went o- we went over to um, the grocery outlet store over here okay to pick up you know like some some movie treats right mm-hmm. P- couple boxes of candy whatever um they put the candy in the great big box right it's not like when we were kids you got like a little pack that was mostly full of candy it's this gigantic <laughs> box of candy and so my it was just me and my oldest son and and you know we were laughing about that already he's like yeah you got to find one that doesn't have the candy in a bag inside <laughs> so he's like shaking the boxes by his ear to try to determine whether or not this candy's in a in a smaller bag, you know, filled with air inside this box. And, um, and sure enough, you know, we bought each bought like a box of candy. We get over to the drive and we tear the things open. And both of them have a bag that fills up less than the box, less than half of the box. Mm -hmm. And then the candy that's in the bag is like a quarter of the space in the bag. Nice. Um, And I just thought that that's inflation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Sounds My like bar it. of soap is smaller. <laughs> Every everything seems to be getting smaller, even if the price is staying the same. I used to work at uh, a long, long time ago. I worked at Kmart, and they had like these those deli things in Kmart's, and people would come in and they would order, you know, get the big old bag of popcorn. Oh yeah, before you know, I don't know how you're going to smuggle this big old bag like this into the theater, into the theater. but it was kind of funny because people oh yeah because i'm not gonna pay eight dollars for a thing of popcorn at the theater when i can go down to kmart where i was working and get it for 50 two. cents or, or whatever you know, the most. yeah but it's just kind of funny because people oh yeah this big old bag of popcorn it was like a know? three foot bag of popcorn uh, i remember that bag yeah. of popcorn mm-hmm. i remember just walking around kmart looking at everybody eat and drop popcorn on the floor <laughs> thinking, this is the weirdest thing hey kmart needs to be a sponsor of this show now we just mentioned kmart like 20 times is Kmart even still around? Yes, they are. I know there's yeah. one in Atascadero. There oh, there's one in AG, too. There's one in AG. There's but one it's in awfully Denver. close to Walmart. Yeah. What's your spin there? Which which one would you like set out for? Uh, You know what? Kmart. Really? Yeah. I need to walk in. I can walk out. No problems. 
You know, Walmart. Walmart. They always lines. expect you to pay those sons of a guns. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I usually, I usually like to stop by the cash register on my way out the door when I've got some items in my hands. But, okay. You know, I usually don't like somebody to kind of tackle me in the parking lot. Right. Not, not usually. Oh, you're a pretty big dude. I don't yeah. think you're getting taken down. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I always think it's funny too in these inflation readings. They always back out food and gas. Uh, what other expenses do we have? I mean, unless you want to put my health care into these ex- these inflation calculations, in which case we're well over 2%. What, but otherwise, it is food and gas, right? Exactly. Because I don't have a good grasp on if my shoes are costing more this year than they did last year. I don't really know that. Yeah. Um, the kids are easier to keep track of because they wear them out in like five weeks. Those I know when those get more expensive. But... Um, I, I think that's funny, yeah. um, you know, an, an interesting, an interesting track on that metrics. Anyway, hey, guess what? It's already time for the first commercial break. It's nine twenty-one. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We'll be back in a couple minutes for more. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
All right, welcome back. Are you guys getting excited to go to the fair? Next week? It yeah, it's pretty quick here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I have, I have so much going on just because it's summertime. Um, and I, I asked... John can sometimes get us some tickets, you know, for our participation in the radio. We can get some of the, the stations free tickets or whatever. Are you going to a show? Well, I was going to go see Megan Trainer because I thought that would be really fun. And that's like the day that I'm going to be in Yosemite. So that didn't work out. Um, so then he's like, pick anybody else. So then I, I was like, I'll, I would go see Alan Jackson. That's going to be a riot. I tell you what, Alan Jackson puts on a good show. Yeah. Have you ever seen him? No. Yeah, I've seen but I know times. a lot of the words to a lot of his songs. Mm-hmm. We'll have to play some Alan Jackson. There you go. A bumper after the next. Yeah, it, he did. He was on the Today Show yesterday mm-hmm. in the morning, and the like mm-hmm. concerts in the plaza, and played a few of his songs. It was pretty cool. I had a brush for greatness with Alan Jackson. Did actually, you? yeah, he was like leaving the show. You know, when I saw him up there one time, and he, I was kind of walking across the street, and his tour bus pulls out. And there's Alan standing right there in the doorway watching the crowds <laughs> go by here. It's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, he's standing right in the doorway of his tour bus. He's been at it for a long time. Yeah. And I and I really do think he must love it. And I don't know how many times you can sing that Chattahoochee song. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back with Every day. Every time that guy ever plays, he has to play that song, that yeah. poor guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was – so I got tickets to Alan Jackson – and that's the night of that uh, the A's and Dodgers game that we were going to go to. It's the same day. Oh, so, so you're I'm not like, going to that either. Well, now what am I not going to? <laughs> I'm probably not going to Alan Jackson. Um, yeah, so we'll see. We should figure out a way to like send the wives to Alan Jackson, make them happy. Um, yeah, anyway, that'll be fun. The fair, and it's a big draw, too. Yeah. I heard that some of those tickets, like uh, the Motley Crew tickets, were like 150 bucks yeah. a piece for the cheapest yeah. ones. Yeah, Motley Crew, Alice Cooper, they're they're not cheap. Where's all that money going? Who knows? It's got to cost a lot of money to bring them here, though. Yeah, well, and I do. Does it really? Def Leppard? Is Def yeah, Leppard? I don't know about yeah. Def Leppard, but you know, <laughs> I just remember there's some hair bands coming. Yeah. Tesla? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There's a, I I don't know exactly how it all breaks down, exactly where all the money. Well, goes. I know yeah. though. I mean, we managed to go to at least one concert, if not yeah. more, every year. Yeah. And um, I, I'm a pretty friendly guy, so I usually end up talking to the people around me and stuff. And, and paying ten dollars per a beer. <laughs> a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those people don't live here uh-huh. that are at those shows at the fair. They come from oh yeah other you know around from the valley oh, and, yeah. and other parts of the county and so they're they're not typically just San Luis Obispo residents. So yeah. it's a that's I think obviously a good thing for our economy that we're oh, yeah. bringing those people in to come spend money here. But then most of it, you know, I think other than the ticket sales stuff, a lot of the, like, you know, you you buy a, a deep fried hot dog with Snickers dressing from the like <laughs> the carny guy for cash, yeah. right? <laughs> Is that money staying in our county? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? That money's like going off on the the traveling carny band or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I know like with the beer sales and stuff, like the the fair gets a percentage. Sure. So the vendor may be from out of the area, but that's why you pay eight, ten dollars for a beer. That'd because be a the value fair gets eight, a ten dollars. Yeah. They're like twelve, fourteen dollars. Yeah. So the fair gets a percentage. So at least that percentage stays here somewhat in the county. 
Oh, and this one has a blinking light in it, so it's $19. There it is, yeah. There it is. Oh, the fair. Love that fair. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I saw a video on the internet recently that I think concreted my, um, I'll, I'm not going on fair rides anymore. There was like, a, it was a, like a fair thing and there's a big hoop, but not, not upside down or anything, but just like a thing that the little roller coaster car thing goes over the top of this and it just rockets up one side, gets to the top. And instead of coming down the other side, it just goes, it shoots right off. <laughs> <laughs> not cool, man. <laughs> I will say Where is that. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm like 6'4. Uh-huh. So most of the time, if I can even get that little lap bar over my knees, it's I'm I'm helping restrain myself in that car to like be properly held in. It's just not a good plan. I will I, say that the mouse roller coaster that, that oh, thing yeah. goes way tall, you know, the that is usually the first ride in and the last ride out. There's a lot of putting that together and taking it apart. So maybe Maybe that one's not as rushed to get it going. <laughs> they take their time yeah. to bolt that one yeah, together. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So there you are. Yeah. Hey, Jim, hurry up! People are already riding the mouse ride over there. Yeah, I got to stake this side down, boss. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah I've get a lot it of going. Fares, so. We need tickets. Oh, that's pretty wild. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure about that whole fair thing. And I'm and I am curious though what they're gonna deep fry this year. It'll be something new. Who knows? Some kind of like deep fried heart transplant, let's hope. There it is. I don't know. Weird stuff. Uh all right. Now you gotta, gotta get serious again. You guys gotta rein me in faster when I start in on that kind of thing. It'll go along. Well, you were just segueing into retail sales, I think. (laughs) Retail sales were um, not that good. Did you see that? Retail sales were um, a little bit slower than what we anticipated. And, um, you know, of course, we got to try to figure out why. So have your host of excuses ready. Right. What um, weather event occurred this fine summer that led to people not spending money? Um, it was a bit too sunny. Too sunny? Too sunny yeah. this time. Yeah. You know, why shop when you can tan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Retail sales down 0.3% for the month of June. But you're supposed to be, we're supposed to be uh, spending a little bit more money right now, aren't we? Consumer confidence has been pretty high. Um, so we're supposed to be uh making more money and more of us are back to work we've got our our uh 401ks and our houses are worth more than they were a few years ago i mean the kids are out of school isn't this the time you're going on vacations and you're buying things and spending money or is that i don't know i you know what i think it is starting to happen here like tell me about your household my kids aren't old enough to yeah they play with the toys they have we're afraid to go anywhere are you spending more money in the summer or less money in the summer? You know what? Um, we spend, I think, honestly, our budgets is the same. But I noticed that we spend more money at home when the kids are like the groceries and things like that and things for the house. Um, but they, they eat a lot more when they're just home every day. Um, but I save money on gas without all those extra trips back and forth to school um, the extra trips to 
you know, the different practices and all that kind of stuff that typically accompany the school year. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I was going to make a joke, though, but honestly, it's like you spending money. I, everybody right now that I know is all everybody's got a plan. That seems to be the biggest thing, I think, is people have learned lessons now from this last recession and have a plan about saving money, paying some stuff off. And a lot of people just stay and put. I'm not sure. You know, one of the things you learn in a recession, there's a saying, I don't remember it, but it has to do with like sweeping porches. No, make no. it last. <laughs> you know, like you you wear it out longer and make it last and fix things. And you you question you know, you're not just so quick to run out and replace and upgrade and buy and dispose of the ones that you have. Whatever that that good is that you have, like usually you're stretching it to make it last a little bit longer. If it breaks, you might consider fixing it. That Those are the things that being broke reminds us. And then once you start to everybody gets healed, those those memories are now fresh again. So I think people are. I mean, this retail sales number, they said largely was about autos. Um the lack of auto parts. And then interestingly enough, Dan, last week, initial jobless claims made a little, a little spike. And um, they said that that was due to auto layoffs. And we're, we're seeing that um, I think even part of that is in the auto sales thing now is that people are, are not buying those new cars, at least not right now the way they were. It takes those big clearance events and 0% financing to convince somebody to buy a car now. When you when you exclude the auto sales from the retail sales figure, it was still down 0.1%, down a little less, but still down. And economists have been predicting that with gas prices being down a, a little bit, over the country that that would lead the consumer to go out and you spend extra money, money in other ways. But that's not proving to be true. Well, if you have any extra money because gas is cheaper, then just buy some organic food and non-GMO food. You'll spend that money you saved on gas there on that food um, that won't kill you. But this kind of confirms what you're saying here at the end of, of an article here that I'm reading. Um, this is from the Los Angeles Times. It says that... Um, that many Americans have chosen to bank their gas savings. Part of that plan you were talking about. Yeah. You know, don't just oh, go we... out and spend the extra money. Let's let's save it and plan for the future. We keep learning for the last several years here that um, we're Americans are um, in less debt. And, and that number is going down each year. Uh, the savings rates are increasing in most cases. Um, and really, I think it's a it, it is a function of that when you realize that, hey, when they furlough you and you don't get your normal pay, it's good to have some savings when you get laid off because the company you work for comes on tough times in a, in a bad economy. It's good to have some savings. And I think that many people are are so recently reminded of that, that it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing people spend less. And the other thing, too, is. How many have anybody just come forward and just agreed that we've just burnt out the consumer? I feel so burnt out as a consumer. Every day, it's Black Friday, it's Cyber Monday, it's Prime Day, it's um, Deal of the Week Wednesday. It, it's everywhere I go. There's some don't program. miss out on this, or if you got to act now to get this deal and that, deal. and it's exhausting. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, so many households now have like the Amazon Prime where 
you know, hey, we're down to like five sheets of paper towels. We'll hop on Prime and order a roll of paper towels, yeah, and they'll it'll be it here to you this afternoon. Yeah, you'll get it like today, or so you like <laughs> next thing you know, it's in your hands, and you're like, that was bizarre. How did somebody? And you had fifty thousand choices too. Well, do I want the quilted one or the two ply? And do just I just want... wait until you can three D print your paper towels in your hand? Yeah, and so <laughs> I think it used to be that people you know kind of saved up things that you want or whatever and then you'd go and you'd buy those things on a day that was like black friday or something but now that we buy things every day um, and we're being pitched these bizarro sales every day um, you got all the the consumers probably a little bit overstimulated in terms of who wants their money when and and maybe people are like you know i'm tired of that i'm tired of shopping and buying useless crap that doesn't even last and you know you know what i mean yeah i do know what you mean yeah <laughs> look at that <laughs> speaking of speaking of reusing, reusing getting max life out of wes things. is coming into the studio now and he is he just chose a chair that looks like it might have been like an electric chair and this I'm, this might have been the prototype for like the, the standard staples office chair here this is this is the that's one that cool. all future chairs are modeled after. That's cool. It, wow. <laughs> all right. I wish this is where radio just doesn't <laughs> doesn't do the job. Man. Try it. You do your best. Tell them about it. <laughs> this thing, it's like it's like one of those cats that's missing all of its hair. You right? know, it's <laughs> you know when they take that material that's like pleather. <laughs> and then the painted on leather texture mostly peels. Like, what would you say that? That's like 80% peeled. It's, <laughs> it's a tattered chair. It's pretty rough. Wow. It looks like a porch chair. It does. Yeah, it looks like it spent a lot of time in the sun. Like the college era smoking on the porch <laughs> yeah. chair. Well, we, I'm I'm happy to say that KVEC is a very resourceful radio station. Indeed. And that's They're not what, buying. I mean, you can still sit on this chair. Right. It, it still serves that function. It's holding booties just fine. You might walk away with half of the fabric on your clothes, but yeah. um, it, it will support your weight. Yeah, that's I like what that it will do. brown chair that Wes yeah. is sitting in. Well, whose chair is that? Uh, that's King's chair. Okay. Wow. King has a comfy chair. Is that the artist. first chair he got when he ever did radio? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he's just been wearing it all these years. Hey, it's great. Don't make me go down to the production studio and bring in one of those creaky old green chairs with the green leather on it. Oh, oh that yeah. sounds fun. We we can go way back with chairs here. I, I feel kind of honored and proud. I didn't I didn't know this was King's chair. You know, yeah, listening to King, King every Harris's morning. He's chair. kind of a hero of mine. Yeah, I'm sorry, Wes. You're not allowed to talk yet. You have not been introduced. People are confused now. What was that voice? Who was? Who is that? Guys, that's Wes Burke, the ex-realtor from Patterson Realty. No, it's not. It's Will Barnby. Oh no! He said he wasn't going to do that today, too. Are are we announcing that you're not a realtor anymore? Are we? I am absolutely still a realtor. Oh, okay. I I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think what you're referring to is <laughs> what is the, what is decisions he that I've to? made about how I spend my day. Um, right. Do tell. Well, I've I've got a an office now, six offices with uh, 55 <laughs> agents, and uh, it's become clear to me that uh, what I enjoy on a daily basis is managing and running the office and supporting all of my agents uh, much more than I enjoy transacting and I was being felt that I was being pulled in too many directions. So I've chosen to step out of transacting personally and I'm, I'll be full-time managing uh, the offices. Cool. 
Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds kind of anticlimactic now that I've said yeah, it. Yeah, that wasn't nearly as interesting or exciting as I thought it would be. <laughs> well, well been, but I've you're, been, you're I've kind been... of in the same vein, though. I mean, you're you're running the office. I heard and... cats for a living, too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Trying to keep all the crazies together. <laughs> I do, yeah. I feel like I get yeah. pulled in those directions as well. I mean... I can't even walk through my office without somebody being like, oh, hey, over here. I'm going to give Wes six months before I invite him into my support group. Yeah. It, it <laughs> is. It's a it's a challenge to actually change to change pace like that. And I've been selling houses for 20 years, and it's very strange when I get a, a friend or a past client that calls me and says, hey, we're ready to buy or sell a house. And, and so now I'm handing those off to... Not the same level of enthusiasm, huh? Agents that within my <laughs> office, but it's it takes a minute for me to get used to that. Yeah, are you are you ever a little bit freaked out about um, it takes so long to like grow that? I was thinking about it yesterday in terms of you. Um, and growing the business. Well, or? when you personally, when enough people think real estate, and then they go West Burke, you know. If if they have a friend or family member, or somebody that needs a referral, they get it, they get an emphatic referral. This is the guy that you have to go work with, and you know it. While it's it's just not the same that they would call and then you know Wes would say, "Here's a, an agent in my office that's amazing. Work with this person." That's all good and everything. That client, I know because of your company and your judgment and everything, that client's going to have probably a similar experience if they worked just with you exclusively. But the the truth is, often they're going to have a better experience because they're <laughs> going to have an agent that's not trying to also juggle six offices sure. and the management of fifty agents, and that's the the realization that I've I can come appreciate to, that, that I can actually deliver a higher level of service to my clients by getting another realtor that's able to focus a hundred percent of their attention on that transaction. Yeah, I think about that, you know, because I. I'm I'm kind of in a similar boat. I mean, I'm a I'm a high producing loan officer, but also as you know, one of the very involved partners of the company. And um, oftentimes, I I find the conflict of of both just because you only have so many minutes in a day, right? Um, but what I I always come back to, and and the thing I think that I worry the most about is that when you let go of that, what if something changes in a couple years, two three years, and those those phone calls aren't rolling in anymore, and then you've got to go back to beating the bushes to go drum up that business again. Um, you'd be so sad that it that you had let any of it go. That's kind of one of the catches there. But um, at your guys' scale, maybe that never happens. No, I, I think it's a it's a real fear, and the reality is the the income from transacting is substantial to to walk away from as well. But I'm, I feel actually very fortunate to be in a position in my life where I can make that kind of decision. And I never really thought I would make a decision um, I, that I would make a choice to to do something that would that would come with a pay decrease for in exchange for the ability to deliver a high, higher level of service to my agents who are also my clients and to have a more balanced life. And that's the decision I've made. And I realized that uh, I'm really fortunate to be able to make that decision. Yeah. 
Oh, it's good. I, I honestly, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad that you are doing that. I mean, it sounds like you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Well, thanks. We'll see how it goes. Good. Um, hey, it's a, it's a quarter to 10 here, which means we owe the second commercial break here of the hour. Um, and so when we get back, we'll talk more, uh, with Wes and, and about all this letters on this paper that I have in front of me. I've got plenty of things to, to talk about. I can see you guys are both shocked. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 home Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. It's hotter You know this guy's coming to the fair? I, uh, the, the country, uh, country uh, sessions at the fair don't hit my radar. Oh. You don't like your country and your wife and everything? I like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm I'm not going to be uh, turning up at any of the country shows. Your mom fair. didn't get run over by a pickup truck when she's <laughs> leaving the prison? You're from Texas. Yeah, that doesn't mean that I'm... Well, I'm, I, I'm steeped in country music. It doesn't mean that I uh, still pursue it. Hmm. 
The country music Wes listens to has zero guys in skin-tight jeans with, like, highlights in their hair. You'll catch him spinning some old Merle or something, even some Hank Sr., there's there's going to be things like that that come through the speakers it's when you're with Wes, but Florida, it is not Georgia like line. Keith Urban. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's true. But I, I feel like uh, like Alan Jackson, though. I mean, yeah, that's kind of in between. Yeah, but he airs on In between on the... what? Well, the really, <laughs> like the Merle Haggards and the Buck Owens and... The Garth Brooks. And he was the, like, a, he's, a, oh, he's, okay. a, he's a yeah. stepping stone. He's mm. a, Transitional country music. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like it's one, a new category. one foot in country and one foot in pop. Yeah, yeah exactly. I wouldn't say he's like Keith Urban, but I wouldn't say he's like Merle Haggard either. I think he's kind of a bridge, yeah. somewhat. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not, I'm totally not off sold, base. huh? No, you still won't find me there. Okay. You don't even have like a soft spot in your heart anywhere for Garth Brooks. Yes, for Garth, I do a little bit. Okay, little Garth, bit. it's up that alley. Alan Jackson, I think Garth Brooks were. Um, They're in the same kind of time yeah. frame. Same time frame, same same genre of country. Mm-hmm. And but I yeah. wouldn't mind having their bank accounts either. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and if you listen to country music, in the end, you are. You're, well, you could be sad about the recent breakup, but usually you're really proud to be an American, love your family, love your country, love your dog, love beer. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> All right. That's, that sounds good. Hey, Wes, Sounds good. how about those home sales, huh? Yes, Wes, <laughs> please. So the, the Tribune came out with some statistics this past week about the May housing numbers in the county. Tell me what it says. They're saying that um, the number of sales was down 1%, which, by the way, I just... Can you can I get a second set of eyes on this graph? This is this first column here is May of 2014. See where that ends right there, kind of in the middle. Yes. And this is May of this year. That appears to be more. It does, but they've they've got the numbers here that last year in May we sold 394, and this year in, or I'm sorry, this year in May it was 394, and last year in May it was 398. So the visual doesn't quite match with the figures. This is uh, median price. This is right. number of... Home sales are down 1%, right, according to this chart? Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, it just... Uh, anyway, that's beside the point. Um, so home sales are down. Dan just likes being tr- critical of the Tribune when they talk about anything I mean, are they just throwing any old... To real estate or finance. Any old bar on this chart he, here? He basically just, yeah. wants to say, why don't you call me? And now you just need me to proofread your graphs for you. <laughs> it's, it's, anyway, so the, the number of sales is down 1% year over year. Median price is up almost 7% year over year. Median price for May, 480000 All right, that sounds right. I think we're done here. Sounds good, huh? <laughs> I concur. No, I, I think um, what what's interesting about what's going on around the county right now is that we're really seeing a demonstration of how different our micro markets can be from one another. And I think that that's really the message today for the listeners is if you're interested in transacting in real estate on the Central Coast, you need to really take a deep dive into the micro market in which you're contemplating transacting. Um, By way of example, inventory levels in San Luis Obispo have declined dramatically. We have in San Luis about 1.5 months of supply, and that's in San Luis proper. 
and you when you look uh, around the county those levels in some places are um, on the increase rather than the decrease so san luis proper's seen a decline from about nearly three months of inventory in um, April and May, and then you take a look at a at an area like Cambria, for example, and you've got nearly seven months of supply, and that um, from from March was was down in the in the range of three months. So you've seen a pretty dramatic increase in supply in Cambria, um, even though in the last month it's decreased a little bit. But the um, the story when you talk to the realtors on the street, they're telling very different stories about what their experiences are in these different communities. And so I'm not sure what it tells us about the direction of the market or what's going to happen in the future, but it certainly um, should inform a buyer that, for example, if you're buying a home in San Luis Obispo, it's still very competitive. You still need to act very quickly. And if you're buying a home in some of the other areas around the county, um, it may be a bit more of a buyer's market affording you some opportunities that don't exist in San Luis proper, for example. So if you're looking in Paso or you're looking in Cambria, um, the urgency doesn't have to be at the same level that, that the urgency in San Luis would be. You have offices all over the county and even in, in Santa Maria, some North Santa Barbara County. Right. How is activity going in, in those different offices of yours? I feel like you, your company has a good sampling of what's going on all over the county. Are you seeing activity picking up in, in each office? Are some offices steady while others are, are experiencing rapid increases in activity? Or No, it really it feels like the activity level around the county is down, even though in most of the areas the median prices are up and we're seeing appreciation. Um, I, I still, what do you mean the activity is down? Like there are just fewer listings, fewer buyers? Yes, fewer transactions. Really? Since, since when? Um, this year. So since earlier this year, now in the summer, the, the home buying season, we're seeing activity actually down? Well, the activity seasonally is up over the winter, for example, but it's not up as much as it last has been in the last two years, oh. the number of transactions. Now, in, you know, it, that's offset to some degree by the appreciation, but I think the number of transactions is an interesting um, marker for for buyers and sellers to try to get a handle on what direction the market's um, headed in. So in the past several weeks, I've run into different people and just casual conversations outside of the office expressing some concern maybe about the price of homes and, you know, almost suggesting that that home values are are maybe overinflated right now, overheated. You know, comments like, gosh, would you buy a home in this market? Um, Things like that. Is, do you are you getting that kind of sentiment from buyers? Any kind of feedback like that from your agents that buyers are a little scared off by the the appreciation that we've experienced over the last several years, and and maybe that's keeping them out, just cautiously approaching housing right now. Yeah, we're hearing some of that, but I, I don't think it's I don't think it's real. I mean, it's a sentiment that that we're having to address with buyers. But frankly, it's it's a misconception of market conditions that that we're trying to educate buyers around with the type of statistical data that we're talking about here today. Well, I don't doubt that that's the um, 
I don't doubt that that emotion plays for most people. We're just coming off of a time when that happened, so people are a little well, scared of that happening again. And not only that, but um, most anywhere in our county, let's say you, you get your ducks in a row, you get all pre-qualified up, and you go out and start looking at homes. Um, first of all, you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed in how many there are for you to look at. No, no matter where you are, you're going to, even in Cambria, where they've got seven months of supply, you're going to drive through Cambria and look at all these different houses. You're going to be a little bit disappointed because you kind of, everybody, I think, has this idea of, I'm going to find exactly what time. I'm looking for. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is you know, I'm, I'm not very romantic when it comes to this, but let me tell you what your home buying experience is going to be. You're going to go out, look at what's available, rule out things based on some disqualifier for the property, and then ultimately end up in a competitive situation where you're going to pay too much by your own measure in order to compete for a property that you're settling for. That's basically what's happening in our county. I mean, until you get into that upper echelon where these people can say, well, I've got enough money that, um, you know, I'm going to be able to buy a $2 million house. If that's your game, you're probably going to find something that's going to make you quite happy. But for everybody else, you're more or less settling on what's available. Well, I, yeah, I think that can be true. Um, but I, I think there's... A couple things that are going on that that inform these numbers to some degree, and and I'll use Cambria as an example. I was just having some conversation with some agents from Cambria, um, and even in Paso, the, some of this is happening too. These areas are finally reaching a point where the negative equity that people experienced based on changes in the marketplace is reaching an, an equilibrium. So we're getting back to the high water mark. And there are a lot of homeowners out there that now have options um, because that negative equity has been eliminated. They now have options to get back into the marketplace. And a lot of these sellers are a little bit ahead of the curve and so they'll put their property on the market at a very optimistic number and sometimes that decision is made on on stats like we're talking about so they realize that there's low levels of inventory therefore they surmise that yeah i'm still maybe just technically a touch upside down from the real market value but we're going to go ahead and put the home on the market yeah we realize it may be $50,000 overpriced, but there's not very many homes for sale. And we think we might find a buyer. But what's happening is the buyers in this climate are more educated than they've ever been in history. Data is out there, um, very open and available to all. And, and buyers are coming to this mix highly, highly educated about market values, and they refuse to pay more than market value. Yeah, I said it was competitive. I didn't say any of us were stupid. That's a big thing, and I see that all the time. You can nowadays these people that come in, they're talking about being pre-qualified, and they're like, "Yeah, there's those houses, but that one's overpriced, or that one's this guy's fishing a fool." Um, hey guys, it's time to do the uh, top of the hour break. We'll be back in a few minutes uh, with another hour of Mortgage Matters. We'll have more Wes Burke on. Stick with us. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Sorry. 
everybody welcome back we got a whole nother hour here if you guys want to call in and ask a question or uh suggest a topic maybe share a comment 543-8830 we are joined by wes burke of patterson realty uh, and wes is helping uh bring us back to reality with all of our real estate expectations i want to put a request i want to put a request out to your um listening audience today because hey, all these numbers you know we can beat them up eight ways to sunday but at the end of the day it's my position that we're actually in a relatively normal market but i'm I, that's certainly not what I hear from the majority of the professionals in the industry. Everyone's talking about how weird this market is and no one can figure it out. And to me, it's, you know, the levels of inventory, the buyer engagement, it's all, it's all seems pretty, pretty normal. I mean, it, the, the scales may be tipped a little bit in the seller's favor, but generally speaking, I, I think this is a relatively normal market, but I'm really curious what the public thinks. So if you're out there listening right now, give us a call and tell us what your gut says about the conditions of the current real estate market and the direction. What's your prediction for the direction? Five four four or five four three five four three eight eight three zero. Call us, please. Prove that you're listening. <laughs> Going back to that thing of whether or not things are overpriced, um, there's no true value to any of this stuff. So it's always subjective. It's always going to be, I mean, in in an economy like this, it's always going to be, what are you willing to sell for? And is that number within the wheelhouse of what this person's willing to buy for? And are you all going to be able to negotiate a deal? Um, that's it's, a, it's relative. Values are relative. So it, it boils down to, is your home on the market and listed at a price that a buyer will perceive it as the best value in their product class at the time. Sure. If the answer to that is yes, you'll find a buyer. If the answer to that is no, then the other homes in your marketplace that are the better values will be the ones that sell. Yeah, and if there's not enough, and then your buyer, your would-be buyer, uh, is at the end of his lease, and the landlord's like moving back in their self and now this person's being displaced and then you're one of three homes for sale in the city you might just be able to get that guy to overpay <laughs> i feel like that kind of stuff is part of this market right now it, it may be to some degree but i really think it's it's a um, very small slither of of what's going on we just we find buyers are unwilling to uh, to play that game Right. Even in this market where inventory is, is thin and, and we can talk about very specific listings even that are in the marketplace that um, from a comp analysis standpoint are priced very close to what the market says they should be worth and they don't sell. They sit there and they don't sell. So even though inventory is thin, buyers are, are more highly educated and they're very stubborn about not making unwise purchases so there's not there's not the sense of urgency maybe um, for the buyers right now they're not out there just willing to pay whatever to secure a home there's some patience being exercised yes it still matters what price range you're talking though because you go you go drop on a house for 380 in a tascadero and i'm telling you there's some people that know they're going to make a hasty decision there it's competitive 
Yeah, definitely the entry level is more competitive to, than the than the other um, price ranges, and so you do see more competition in 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 micro segments of the market, and geography plays a, a huge part too. Just like we've been talking about all morning, it really it depends on on where you are and what the micro market climate is. Yeah, two times this week I heard of appraisals coming in short. By the way, hmm. uh, in the office where you know the purchase price was. 459 and the appraisal came in for 449 where the appraiser just can't stretch that far um and uh it's too soon yet to tell what happens there but most of the time the buyer has the prerogative to go ahead and pay that difference right mm-hmm. uh, we don't we don't finance you for more than what your home is determined to be worth by the appraiser but um if you're aware that you struck a deal for 450 and now it's appraised for 440. If you're well aware of that and willing to pay that $10,000 in cash, um, most of the loan programs allow you to do so. And most of the time that ends up how it goes. Well, we've seen markets where that was the norm, where lots of stuff wasn't justifiable based on the current availability of comps. So the appraisals come in high and we've seen markets where buyers simply said, hey, I'm tired of trying to play this game, compete against others. I'm going to buy this house knowing that in six, nine months, the value will catch up to where we are. And I'm just going to buy some quality of life here and some assurance and, and get on with it. But that's not what we're seeing on our side of the business. We're seeing buyers willing to walk away and wait for something that is a better perceived wow. deal. So you mentioned these recent um, transactions where the, where the properties didn't appraise. What was the outcome? It's too soon to tell so far. Yeah, it was the kind of thing where we got the information to all parties. Now they're um, mulling it over. And you know what? I I think I expect no matter what happens, there's always careful consideration given there. And we require a letter, you know, for our loan file to say what the buyer, um, how the buyer justified it. And some of those letters are awesome. They say, you know what? I recognize there's not a lot of good comps and I looked for homes for six months and this one meets my requirements well and it stands out in the marketplace. It's got these different features and or this proximity or whatever that makes it in my mind more valuable. And and for these reasons, I care less about what that appraiser says and still wish to purchase this property. Um, when we see that kind of thing, it's like, well, that's the most important thing from the lending um, perspective is we want to know that that our buyer's fully aware and eyes wide open and at least has a, an explanation as to why they're, quote unquote, overpaying for a property. Um, and, and by the way, it's so very infrequent that we would even have an appraisal come in for more than a negotiated sales price that that almost never happens unless there's some kind of a a special deal where it's a it's a a first sale by owner that wasn't priced appropriately either on purpose or on accident we just had one on that property in santa cruz oh came in over like twenty five thousand over Weird, huh? Yeah. So I think it's an opportunity to talk again with your listeners about just really wh- how appraisals go. But one of the things that we experience often is that buyers are surprised uh, and even confused by the fact that their appraisal comes in exactly at the contracted value. Yeah. And you know what? I I try my best 
to have this conversation with everybody and really help them understand this. But the appraisal is more of an art than a science. And I don't know that many people completely wrap their mind around that. And what I mean by that is if we sent out 10 appraisers uh, with no influence whatsoever, no idea of even what they're going to report back. If we sent out 10 appraisers to go value your house today, Wes, we're going to get 10 different numbers. I'd be really surprised if we got two that matched. They might be very close. And at the same time, there's going to be a couple outliers too. There's going to be some high ones and some low ones. And if you had that high one argue with that low one, you'd, you'd begin to see that um, that value from the appraiser standpoint is um, very subjective. Now, when we give them some guidance, for example, here's a purchase contract where party B has agreed to purchase party A's property. Is this value um, an adequate risk for the lender? Is, is where they've arrived an appropriate place to be? Now that appraiser leaves with some framework to say, okay, now I'm, now I'm justifying a number really for the lender, right? To well, let, let me jump in here. And, and when, you're, when you're studying for your real estate exam, one of the things that you're going to have to learn is the definition of market value. Yeah. And that definition is what a willing and capable buyer will pay. Sure. Therefore, when you hand an appraiser a purchase contract, you have demonstrated that the market believes this is the value. Okay, but from a lending perspective, we now know based on science that the market is not intelligent. The market makes emotional decisions and the market makes irrational justifications for things they shouldn't. The market uses lending programs and products to create false affordability and blah, 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 blah. So from, a, from the person's standpoint, like as the owner of a mortgage company, I care less about <laughs> what you're ready, willing, and able to pay and more about if I facilitate that by being the money guy, am I going to get burned? So now we need an independent third party, right? Yeah. <laughs> the point I'm making is when you hand that independent third party, the appraiser, a contract, you have set the tone that the market value is whatever that contract is. That's right. And, and the appraiser, by the way, one of the first things that they do is start where you started. What are the comps? What are the listings? What are the solds? But also, how long was this on the market? Um, and, and sometimes there's information gleaned about how many offers were written, especially where the appraiser is now tasked with figuring out how in his report to justify the fact that you're paying three or five percent over list price. He might call up that listing and say, well, what happened here? I, I see that your place was on the market for six months. You know, what happened? Well, we tried to sell it for 500000 for six months because the seller was, you know, over the top. They finally had this event happen. Now they cut the price to four fifty. So we at four fifty we got eight offers and it ultimately sold for four sixty. That's good information for an appraiser to know that what happened was they were sort of above the market, maybe even fell a little below the market and then sold somewhere in the middle. The different the the other option here that happens sometimes is this house comes on the market on a Monday morning for five hundred thousand and by Tuesday morning there are eight offers. And those realtors are all smart. As you well know, they're calling up the listing agent. I'm I'm heads up before if you are doing anything or reviewing other offers, I've got one coming and you need to know it's gonna be a goodie. So 
hang tight, you'll have it before lunch tomorrow. Those kind of deals, that that's good info for an appraiser too, to know that this property was really well received in the market. It had great activity on day one, and that's why it sold for 100% of list price or, or more or less or whatever. Um, but the, all of that framework helps guide the appraiser. He's going to ultimately attempt to justify it. It isn't until he can't get the numbers there. Like you say, you know, I need nine. Okay, well, you need nine. I've got only sevens and eights. There's no way I can average seven and eights into a nine unless I just straight do math wrong or introduce information that isn't real. Or you've got, you need nines and I've got all sevens and eights and a 10. Now we got to argue why we're going to weight the 10 more than most of the sevens and eights to average nine. That all of that kind of thing. That's what the appraisers are attempting to do in all cases. And, and this is what I end up telling all of my buyers is that if your property is worth what you're buying it for, the appraisal is going to be for the sales price period. If it's worth substantially more, then your appraisal is going to be for higher. That almost never happens. If it's worth two or three or five percent more, they just dumb it down. And I think when it's worth two or three percent less, they just raise it up. They're they're justifying a number, not pinpointing a value. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you said that in the last sentence. They're justifying a number, not pinpointing a value. And by the way. So many times somebody comes in for like a refinance or something where we order an appraisal and, and with the new laws and everything, this appraiser literally does go out blind. Zero idea of what we're hoping for and produces a report. And that report might come in for 440 and the people go, you're kidding me. I would I would list and sell my house in less than a week for 475. 440 is not where my house is. And we go, yeah, you know, that that is an appraiser's opinion on that day and time. And usually it is a little bit more conservative. We don't have the benefit of seeing what happens when it's marketed. Who shows up? How how feverish are those people that need to buy that property? We don't have any of that knowledge, yet that appraiser is concerned with putting in a report that when people look at it are going to agree that this is solid. There's no rate. There's no reaching here. There's no stretching. There's no attempt at making it worth more. Um, so it's a it's very important when you're the the uh, purchaser of an appraisal to understand what it is you're buying. You're not buying just an independent third party's valuation of your property. You're buying a logical. A justification of the sales price that you have agreed to. That's right. What you're when you're in transaction and when you're when you're doing a refi like you're talking about, you you give the appraiser so much less ammunition specific to the definition of market value. You're yeah. not demonstrating what the what a, a willing and capable yeah, and buyer would pay. Yeah, sometimes it's easy though, right? Like, I mean, if we if you need an appraisal because you own one of the condos in Dove Creek, that's not that hard. Okay. That's something you're going to be able to get that done because there's lots of very similar products that have recently transacted. Over. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's kind of well known. But now let's let's skip over here, like into San Luis, get on down like one of these houses right down here on like Pacific Street. Um, there might be a two year old house right across the street that's worth 
more because it's it's brilliant and beautiful and modern and then there's a home two doors the other way that's one of the you know early 1900s historical homes that with the same square footage same square footage that doesn't even attract the same buyer um that isn't representative of your 1960s bungalow that is in you know, kind of renter grade condition that is hard to determine what those are worth. And that's oftentimes what these guys are trying to do. They're trying to figure out how do you make, how do you compare apples to oranges? Cause the apples and oranges are on the same block. And so that's a difficult job to do. Um, and again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. It's more an art than it is a science They're trying to figure out mathematically how to rate, what what it means when this place has got an extra half bath, but then the you know the one you're comparing it to has only got a one car garage, and then you know those little attributes. How do you put a mathematical value on all that, um, especially where not everybody agrees? I, I care more about a two car garage than I do about um, you know having a house with a one car garage but an atrium. I I you know every buyer's got a different set of priorities. Amen, Dan. What do you think about all that? I I agree. <laughs> I agree. <clears throat> Just simply, right there. All right. Well, what's what's next on the agenda, Jay? Commercial break. Oh, get it done. Yeah, we got to do that. Um, you're pleading for phone calls that yielded not a one. There was a wrong number, wasn't there? Somebody called up and wanted a five dollar hot and ready. I, I heard us going in the background actually so oh. they may not have heard us they were just proving that they were listening yeah, just not yeah. willing to identify themselves but this is to remind people when they call in turn down the radio and everything will that's go always good advice hey we're new commercial break we'll be back in a few minutes with more mortgage matters to ask a question or make a comment call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors this is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles in Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. 
A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. guys welcome back everywhere you look dan every time now that the beige book comes out i just can't help but think of um bobby how funny that is she loves that the most boring book ever it's a boring color beige Dan, what's that headline you have over there that says Morro Bay approves home guidelines? Yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting and something that you might be interested in, too. Um, there was a council meeting in Morro Bay on Tuesday, and uh, unanimously it was decided that um, to institute some new, <coughs> new guidelines um, for, for either, I, I believe it's both applying to new builds and remodels in the city of Morro Bay. Um, and you know, basically it's, it's talking about neighborhood compatibility. It's talking about, you know, a new project needs to be in the same scope and style as existing homes, which I think is kind of funny when I think about Morro Bay, it's so eclectic. That's what I'm grinning about. So what is compatible in, in a neighborhood in Morro Bay when you'll have a, you know, a little bungalow, a new build, a, a, a Spanish style, a you know, you'll have all kinds of different styles and sizes. It's got to be homes. compatible, compatibly eclectic. Like no, no bright pink C train houses. Well, what I I think, and and this is the criti- one of the criticisms of it is that it maybe didn't. It it talked about what you what they shall do and not what they um, must do. Or I, I, what should do versus shall do, I guess, was kind of the, the criticism that was quoted oh. in here. Um, that it's just not specific enough. But what they're, I think what they're aimed at is this, this thing that we've heard a lot about over the years, the mansionization. Um, and it's something that's not exclusive to Morro Bay. It's everywhere you hear about this issue. People coming into old neighborhoods and, and um, building these these large out of scale homes. Um, so, you know, one of the big things that was highlighted was that if, if homes in a neighborhood are 1000 square feet, a new 5,000 square foot home probably doesn't fit in. Yeah. And how many people are going to try to build a 5,000 square foot home in a neighborhood full of 1000 square foot homes? I mean, we were just having this conversation earlier off air about, about this very issue. and, And we weren't even talking about that kind of size difference we're talking about a neighborhood of 1500 square foot homes and it does it even make sense to come in and build a 2500 square foot home that may be the biggest home in the neighborhood demanding the largest sales price is that something that's even a prudent financial decision will you even recoup the value out of that home yeah and that's a good it, it's a good question but the what's underlying here that's frustrating to me is is when 
oversight agencies, in this case Morro Bay, they implement policies that introduce subjective overview. And that is highly problematic to me. So when, when you see guidelines that say things like should versus must or shall, then what you're doing is you're creating a scenario whereby those in power, whether it be an architectural review board or simply um, city planners, um, take a look at a project and have the capacity to say, well, no, that doesn't fit the neighborhood um, Dynamic, so you're not able to do that. Well, that's a subjective decision that makes it very difficult um, and sometimes impossible for builders to actually build. And in a, in an environment where inventory levels are horribly low and affordability is at an all time low, it seems to me that those kinds of oversights are egregious. Do you – so are you talking about personal property rights or are you talking about timelines being extended maybe both, beyond? Both. both. And, and really I, I, I think what's fair to ask for from a regulatory standpoint is clear guidelines whereby someone can look at what's written in the ordinance or the guidelines and they can count on that. When you introduce the subjectivity, then you can't do that. Then you can put something together that meets what's written on, on paper, but it's subject to some person or some group of person's opinion. And that is a very difficult thing to plan and budget around. So what you, what you would, if I'm hearing you correctly, you would be in favor of guidelines that maybe said um, a new project cannot be more than... 30% greater in size than existing projects exactly. within a one mile radius. Exactly. You know, something specific would be okay as long as it's specific and, you know, there's no subjectivity. Exactly. Okay. So, for instance, I was looking at um, guidelines in the Santa Margarita area. I pulled some stuff off the county website just to kind of compare and see what's going on in, in other parts. Um, Santa Margarita has a whole document about what you should and should not do. And, and specifically in the residential sector, you know, they have six or so different styles of home. They like a craftsman home, a bungalow home, a ranch style home, but they don't want to see a Mediterranean style home. Um, so there, I, I think those were specific, but, but leaving enough options for people to have some personal style. I'm not sure I would agree with that. No. What, how do you define Mediterranean? I would say it's that uh, I don't know. I would call it, I call it Spanish style, but it's got the clay um, the clay shingles. You what know, if that... I build a house that's shaped like like a craftsman, but I want to put clay shingles on it? So Dude. this this is my point. That's I think that that even that is subjective. You start talking about style, you start trying to mandate style. It's subjective. And it's problematic because then you're going to find yourself, you go out there as a consumer and you buy a lot to build your dream home only to find out that what you really want to build doesn't suit Susie Smith's taste. And Susie Smith happens to be on the architectural review board. Well, it seems like the goal of these different, because um, architectural review is something that that's pr almost everywhere. It seems like it seems like these, these different municipalities or different review boards, they want to make maintain they want to be able to market their town as you know we're the 
we're the Mediterranean town. We're the, you know, we're the old craftsman, old world town. And it seems like that's what they're trying to maintain are these historical identities of these towns. But look around all of these towns and they're eclectic. I mean, that's one of the things that's charming about Santa Margarita is, is that you drive through the neighborhoods there and you see a house that... You know, you can tell from the street is 650 square feet and it has a cute little backyard. And next door is a 3,000 square foot house that was just went through a complete and total remodel. And that's what's charming about some of these communities. So trying to regulate them down into some box that uh, ebbs and flows with the personal taste of the people in power is, to me, nonsensical. So you agree with the with the size restrictions more so than the style restrictions i i don't even necessarily want to say that i agree with that what i would what i would be more in favor of is specificity in the ordinances just like you recommended so if you're trying to maintain neighborhood uniformity then create formulas that anybody can translate into practice so if you're concerned that somebody's going to build a mcmansion in an area you don't want them Put a size restriction on. Say it cannot exceed 110% of the average square foot of homes within a quarter mile radius. Now that I can take to the bank. I can do calculations and I can come up with a number that's not subjective and I can know that's the parameters within which I have to plan. But when they put specificity in style, you don't like that. Well, I just don't. I, I would argue that style can't be placed in specificity. See, here's here's a couple of other key points from this ordinance passed by the Morro Bay City Council this past week. Um, overall design of the home should pay particular attention to the adjacent homes while remaining visually compatible to the immediate neighborhood. Um, when, here's another sp- specific point. When replacing or changing exterior materials, the materials should be compatible with homes in the surrounding area. So now we're talking about things like exterior siding. Now when you go into planning, if you got the wrong last name or you pissed them off on a last project or something, or they can just look at you and just say, you know what, that doesn't conform. You're, I see there you're trying to put on you know, T111 siding, and there's none of that in this neighborhood. So we're going to go ahead and come back with your next proposal. I'm all for um, zoning protecting us I, and this is kind of my overall government stance bleeding through here but i want to be i want zoning to protect us from um the loss of our enjoyment of our own property um freedoms and rights but that's that i don't yeah i don't want the swine unit being allowed to be put in right next door to my property but at the same time if the guy next door to me wants to build an igloo you're an idiot. It's a task. That thing's going to melt, but nobody should stop that guy from being able to build an igloo and learn his own hard life lesson. Um, so you don't care if a, a, a just a really unattractive home that you find personally unattractive is is now the the home that's been built in your neighborhood? It doesn't matter to you? Oh, dude across the street from me is running a junkyard. We've got boats and trailers and broke down motorcycles. Guys. Wait a minute. Is that your house? No. No, I have a lot of that stuff, but mine's all in good repair and at least like parked straight. These are like cat habitats that haven't run in 30 years. Dude, the dude across the street from me literally has about 10,000 cats on his property. It's wild. Um, and they've had a bunch of kittens this last week. They're out there crying all night. It's a, it's a scene. But anyways, this dude's been there for 30 years. 
I mean, I just bought my house a few years ago. I'm going to come in there telling this guy he's got to clean up all his crap. It was there when I bought it. I knew that that was the risk. That's part of living in a Tascadero anyway. Uh, but but who am I to tell him what yard trophies he can and can't have and all that kind of thing? And again, I mean, if, if this guy was smelting lead and it was running into my front yard, I'd like my government to get involved and help me out with that. If he's got all these wind, sun damaged tarp nastiness all over the front of the thing that makes me wish his place was burned to the ground and then rebuilt as something um, more aesthetically pleasing. Sure. But that's not my place. That dude's a property owner. This is America. So I feel about that. We've got a caller who I believe wants to weigh in on this topic. We've got Sue calling from Morro Bay. Morning, Sue. Hi. Well, Morro Bay already has a reputation of being one of the more difficult communities to deal with if you are trying to build. Oh, yeah. Um, they, and, and what you were saying about if you go in there and you've upset them before, I've, I've heard that from a lot of contractors. <laughs> if you didn't do exactly what they wanted, you kind of get blacklisted. But um, they, they make it difficult, and they change the rules, and they ask you for this, and then they uh, say, well, no, that's not really what we meant because it's uh, six months later and there's a different makeup of the planning commission or something. Sure. So consistency, regardless of what rules they come up with, consistency is important for a governing body. And certainly something that's um, not written into law that's so subjective that any one individual can completely change the value of your property by what they decide you can and cannot do with it. Yeah, so Amen. that's not fair, is it, Sue? No, it's not. I mean, uh, we, we finally sold a beachfront lot rather than try and deal with Morro Bay anymore. It's just, we, we gave up uh, 11 years of fighting and thousands of dollars in studies and legal fees and just trying to build a house. And uh, they, they don't work with you. They are adversarial. And that's not their role. It's not to be adversarial. It's to help the community grow. It, in a safe, calm, logical manager that, yes, uh, uh, aesthetically pleasing is important. Um, controlling some aspects of what is built, I understand, but it cannot be as subjective as they have made it because then nobody can truly plan on what they are and are not able to do with their property. Yeah, we had a similar experience where Dan and I were thinking of buying a lot, and we, of course we had a short period by which to make a lot of very important decisions, and we went in for council help from the planners there in Morro Bay, and they said, oh, that person's not going to be here for two weeks, so you can't really get that help you need. Um, you're going to have to come back then, and then we came back, then they were sick, and but once we finally got everybody to the table, there wasn't anybody willing to say, if you did this, we would approve that. And it ends up in a position where it's, it's really unfortunate. We walked away from the deal, which would have created another beautiful property in Morro Bay, but it would have created more jobs and way better taxes than what that vacant lot is, not to mention the the feeds and all the permits, everything that generates. But instead, now there's still a chunk of dirt just sitting there because the, the city itself is an inhospitable environment to the people that are willing to take some risk to bring development into the area but need the risk to be as well mitigated as possible and and Morro Bay doesn't seem to have that at all on their priority list you know you may be one of the three or four people that fell out of escrow on our property for that very reason <laughs> they would go to the planning or building commission and uh, the planning department and uh, 
either get no answer or get vague answers. And, yeah, we had it fall out of escrow at least three times because of that problem. Yeah. And, again, that, that hits my pocket. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not okay. They have to understand that... People are in business for a reason, just the way they're in city government for a reason, and we're all supposed to be working towards positive goals for the community. Morro Bay has not quite been able to figure that out for a number of years. Yeah. Well, that's got to be fixed at the ballot. We appreciate your call, Sue. Thanks for um, voicing your opinion and sharing that on the radio today. Yeah, and proving Thank that you. you're proving that you're listening. We appreciate that. <laughs> and I, I'll just I want to throw this in there too, Sue. It's not just you, and it's not just Morro Bay. I was talking with somebody just this week that said it took them three years to get through San Luis to build a house here in San Luis, um, and double the budgeted fees at the onset because of all the delays. So I, I sadly, I feel like it's just. For me, it's another one of those examples where we've we've got we we sort of lost our way in terms of um, what those government agencies are supposed to be doing for us, and yeah, it's gotten a bit too hard. And and um, well, this is going to be my follow my follow up question to you guys: these guidelines that are that were approved by Morro Bay are they much different in your opinions than guidelines in other cities in our county? Uh, no, that sounds like ordinances in a lot of different places in the county, but I, I just don't understand why we move in that direction. I don't understand why the public allows their elected officials to make these kinds of decisions. I mean, well, to me, Morro Bay, that council over there is making lots of questionable decisions recently in the last 12 months or so, and I don't know if the, you know, salt is in in pending the water and screwing people's we brains get state up over water there. Over there. I mean, I, don't, I just don't understand why the public continues to elect it's, these people that do these things. It's because people have become apathetic to these processes. And so what you end up with is that if you don't want to be a part of the shaping of those decisions, then you just have to be accepting of what comes or, um, I mean, and that's just how it goes. Well, I'm afraid that what happens is people are so busy trying to make their way in the world put trying food on, to pay for these overpriced houses put food on the table <laughs> etc that we don't have time to fight all these battles and the the uh, unfortunately a lot of these governmental agencies they they feel like they have to justify their existence so they create ordinances that I will give say, them job security i will say that these guidelines were formed over the past 10 months involving nine separate hearings on this topic by the Morro Bay Planning Commission, which is a volunteer um, advisory board. So this is an advisory board of, of citizens from the city of Morro Bay who, who they want to volunteer for this board. I mean, there's some criteria on who can fill the various seats, but these aren't elected people who came up with this. T typically, they're appointed. Typically, they're appointed by elected officials. They are appointed, but they're they're people who volunteer, and then of the group that volunteers, the elected officials then appoint them. So, for whatever that's worth, we have another caller on the line. We have Mary from Arroyo Grande. Good morning, morning guys. Hi. I've got a follow-up question that's occurred to me um, regarding the building issue. Uh, is there a community, or is there in San Luis Obispo County that is builder friendly? <laughs> 
my guess... Silence. I hear silence. Well, well, I don't know that any of us knows that answer to that question specifically. What what I would say to that question, Mary, is that it's been my experience that when you... you want to build something, if it falls in the governance of the county versus any of the local municipalities, typically the you, fees you have are a half experience. and the time frame is a quarter. Yeah, I think when you get, when you involve yourself in building within a city, then from what I've heard from builders is that the process is much more cumbersome, there's much more oversight. But when you're dealing with the county, so when you're talking about the unincorporated areas that don't have water issues like a Los Osos or a Cayucas, but, um, the, those county areas are that the fees are less. There's less oversight, and it's just a more you can get through that building process a lot faster. It pops into my head right now when you're saying that. Does it make a difference uh, if you are a uh, I don't know I call it a big builder, but somebody who's doing a development versus someone who's trying to build an individual home? I think you'll have different experiences in, in the different parts of the county based on that. I mean, really, when a developer is bringing a bigger project that the city really wants, they can work more to, to trade needs and wants versus just a one-off project. But I still think you're going to get the same oversight as far as style and size and things like that. They might put you on the fast track to, to cure up those decisions because it is a big project and, and that, but... I don't know. I still think the city is going to be a more cumbersome process than a county yeah, area. Yeah, me too. I, I think one of the factors that I that I see really Im- impact um, the the process is experience. If you've got a a team, whether it be a builder or a uh, a builder individually or a team of architects and engineers that have that live in the process and they really know what the current environment is, is often they can help you navigate the process um, in in a much quicker way. So when you talk about bigger developments versus you know one-off home builds typically you have a lot more experience that's brought to the to the mix and to the table and that that has a positive impact um i I think what happens is so so many individuals buy a lot and they think they're going to build their dream home and even if they built a house or two in the past that's that just doesn't really lend the experience level um, to navigate the very very complicated processes that are in place currently I, I think the diff- another big difference between a, a developer that's doing a bunch of homes versus a you know a person who's building their dream home on a lot is that the person building their dream home is really married to one idea. They have this very specific idea of what they want to build and live in, and a developer is like a little more willing to conform to the requirements to get because it's about making a profit. It's about building homes and making a profit and getting it done. So they're more willing to maybe conform to the guidelines that are in place. And they know how to get through that process because part of their ability to make money is to get through the process quickly. Um, a, a homeowner who's just building their dream home, they might be willing to, f- they, they might decide to fight a little more um, the guidelines that are in place because they have a very specific idea of what they want. So that's just another opinion there. My, my, my call actually was going to be a question for Wes. Sure. Wes, in the, uh, I take it that in the market, they purchase the bargain hunter, whether it be for the first time or somebody who's looking for bargains, under 400 the market between say 400 and 600 how specific are those buyers and what they're looking for are they what are their expectations how different are they or is that too broad a range 
monetarily to look at to say what those expectations are in, in that kind of mid, I guess that would be a mid-range. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I can tell you that I can pin down what the buyers in that in that segment, what their expectations are, but I can tell you that under four in the in the true entry level marketplace the activity and demand is higher there um, so it's much more of a seller's market um, as you start to step up into the next ranges the for example what you're describing four to six hundred we're seeing that buyers are um, taking their time a bit more there's less of a frenzy they tend to be more value focused um, bedroom count is a big one in that price range because now often we're talking about um, family 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 units versus maybe an, an individual or a young couple and so you throw kids into the mix bedroom count becomes very important neighborhood schools become more important so those are some of the criteria but my advice if you're contemplating selling something in that price range is just simply don't get caught in um, the trap of trying to eke out the absolute top dollar from a market standpoint by overpricing the home. We are seeing the consequences of that, and they're dramatic. You will sell for less, ultimately, if you start at a price that's too high. So do your due diligence, study the micro market climate, look at comps and price your home in a non-emotional way based on the reality of the metrics of that micro market. Well, no, actually, my, myself, no, but interestingly enough, there are two properties, and where I live, uh, homes don't come up for sale very frequently, and we currently have two homes on the market within a quarter mile, I guess a quarter mile of where I am, um, and they are both overpriced. They have been on the market, um, it looks like, for three-plus months, and there doesn't seem to be any activity on them. One of them is conservatively a hundred thousand dollars over market. So when I, you when you look at the at the market's stats for specifically like we were talking about earlier today, the months of supply, and the months of supply is so low in our marketplaces everywhere. It's really below normal conditions, with with a few exceptions in our in our county. Mostly the inventory is super low. So what happens is the buyers that are on the hunt. They exhaust what is what is existing on the marketplace in terms of their their pursuit and analysis. Once they determine that whatever they want to buy is not currently on the market, and that may mean that there's homes that they would love to live in that they perceive to be overpriced, once that analysis is complete, they move on and focus all of their energy and effort on new inventory. So they're looking on a daily basis at new listings, and that's where their focus is. When that home that's overpriced and it's been sitting out there on the market for three months, they start to lower their price. It simply doesn't hit the radar of these buyers that are spending the vast majority, if not all of their time and energy, focused on new inventory. So what happens is you start chasing the market down to find the market, the real market value, but you've already cost yourself the attention of the largest pool of aggressive buyers. Does that make sense to you, Mary? Absolutely. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a Yeah, and I, I think that's... Those buyers are also not fresh buyers anymore. That's true. They're not fresh buyers. So their perspective is changed radically from when they started looking 
Um, and they looked, as you say, at everything for maybe the first month, first six weeks. But they started eliminating things. I've seen that. That's there. That's not moving. My agents looked at into what's going on with that. Talk to their agent. They're getting. They have no showings. Whatever's going on. Well, and once it's been on the market too long, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with it? Nobody else wanted it. If it wasn't good enough for everyone else, it's not good enough for me. Things don't take six months to sell, and I'm not going to be the fool that they hid the issue on, and I'm not going to buy the. I'm not going to be the sucker. That's how. That's how I end up feeling about it. Yeah, yeah and I, that's true. I, I think that happens uh, all too often, and, and that's why we in the in the industry say pricing is so important. And if you do indeed come out there overpriced, you're likely to sell below market value because that's what you have to do to regain the attention of the marketplace is become such a better value than everything on the market that that eventually well, you, gain, you, just, you gain an audience. You just fire your realtor and realist with somebody else and just <laughs> pin it all on them. I, I tried that goon over there at X and X company, and they just couldn't sell houses. So here I am. So that brings up two other issues for the real estate agent. Um, how long does something come be taken off the market before it looks fresh again if it comes back on at a new price? Well, now you're talking about to, to be to be fair, Mary. This, you're talking a little bit a bit about gamesmanship, and and the, the, the question really is how can you trick the market into believing that a piece of inventory is fresh when it's not? And the the technically the answer is a home has to be out of the MLS or in a non-active status in the MLS for 60 days before the um, days on market calculation resets to zero but with that said even if you pull a home off the market that's been on let's say you've got a home that's been on the market for six months you pull it off for 60 days to reset the days on market clock any savvy buyer with a halfway decent real estate agent is going to look at the history of that home and recognize that it was actually on the market for six months and pulled off for 60 days so you're not really going to fool anybody um, with that approach what about the buyer that's looking for something and they just can't find are they walking away and saying i'm going to come back to this later are they giving up or are they just uh, dialing back their effort and coming back at it, you know, just keeping keeping their fingers in it, so to speak. And well, just, I, uh, I think what most of them are doing actually is they give up on existing inventory and they are completely comfortable and happy to wait for the right home at the right value to hit the market. And so when you're, when you're working with an agent, we basically prog the, uh, program the MLS with your criteria and then you rest assured that you will get an email whenever a home that fits your criteria and your price range when it hits the market you get an email and the buyers are just focusing their efforts on watching the you know watching for the right home to come on the market and the patience that's being demonstrated by the buyers in this regard is a point of differentiation between now and the last hot real estate cycle. Back in 2004 and five, we were seeing buyers unwilling to wait because values were escalating at such a rate that they were afraid of getting priced out of the market. But that's not happening now. The buyers now are demonstrating patience, and they're more than happy to wait for the right piece of inventory to come on the on the market. That's, that, that kind of puts them more in the driver's seat. In a, in a sense, it, it gives them a little more more control. The, the seller still has a lot of control because if they put their 
a good piece of property priced properly on the market, they're going to it's going to go. Yeah, that's true, but but you're right. It does give the buyers a, a, a little more, at least, a sense of control and power in the in the um, in the process. Yep. Mary, I'm getting the I'm getting the uh, cut mark from the engineer here in the I, studio. I, I, I think I we're could running. See, I could feel my throat being tightened. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Thanks Mary. Mary. Thanks for the call. We're it's nothing personal. We're just out of time. We only get to buy this two hour block here to have these uh, enthralling conversations. Uh, as always. Master Burke, thank you much for uh, your contribution today. It's always so lovely to have you. Well, it was a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, and um, you know, granted, you don't want anybody to call you to buy a house, but should they want to get a hold of you to, um, you know, get the next step towards buying one or maybe even selling one? Yeah, give me a call. You can call my direct line. It's eight zero five eight zero one seven zero six one. Call me, tell me what uh, was on your mind, and I will make sure that I pair you with one of the finest agents in the county that specializes in your micro-market area. And when you do, you're going to need some financing, usually. Let us help you with that. Uh, That's what we do. We do uh, loans for anybody that is wanting to do something with real estate. Um, Buy it, refinance it, remodel it, add on to it. Um, buy somebody out of it when you're divorcing, add somebody onto it when you're married. Um, that's what we do. We're the loan guys. So if you guys need that specialized help, you know how to get a hold of us. It's 543 loan, uh, the very convenient phone number, which is 543-5626. Additionally, you can find us on the web, get to know us a little bit better. If you need some encouragement to go ahead and make that first phone call on the web, we're centralcoastlending.com. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing you, hearing from you. All of our consultations are free. There's no charge to come in and kind of get an, an analysis of what you got going on or get you on a path to be able to qualify uh, to buy what you want to buy. Um, I have been making this call out for the last year at least, but if you have mortgage insurance, um, don't wait to call us. We can help you. Um, there's a lot of options in how to make that go away. Um, and if you have any other kind of thing that's got you worried a little bit, an adjustable rate loan, an interest-only loan, a balloon payment loan, uh, just something that's nagging at you and you need to get an analysis on that, give us a call, 543-LOAN, uh, 543-5626. Thanks much for being with us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Have a great week, you guys. <laughs>